Did I just blow our PG rating? Somebody should just say and then it'll stop any wow. kind of risk wow. that this part will be used in the podcast. If anyone wants Thank to you, sue Joel, Joel. for yeah. sexual harassment, contact me as I now have audio of him saying all of every bad word. Yeah, that that in my old life, that would have been just guaranteed money right there. Everyone gets rich. Really? Seriously, you're not allowed to say any curse words at work? No, there's one in particular that just ensures the lawsuit is over. All right, this is Stack Exchange Podcast number 48, coming to you live from Stack Exchange headquarters in New York. Today on the podcast, we have George Castor, the community manager at Canonical of Ubuntu fame. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me on, guys. He's a moderator on Ask Ubuntu and one of our top contributors over there. Also on today's podcast, Robert Cartano, our director of community development here at Stack Exchange. Hello. Hey, Robert. Welcome. Also, the usual crew of blockheads, David Fullerton. Yo. Jay Hanlon. Hello. Producer Alex has just wandered off somewhere, but we do have Abby on the show notes. Hello. And today's podcast is brought to you by Powder Milk Biscuits. Give shy persons the strength they need to get up and do what needs to be done. <laughs> is is, what? is I, that real? I have multiple questions. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to start with, yeah. are they really sponsoring us? That sounds too hard. I'm going <laughs> to no. start with, is that a real thing? Powder Milk Biscuits? No, they sponsor, uh, you know, Prairie Home Companion. And it's, oh, a fake, it's a fake thing okay. from Garrison did, Keeler. Okay. Yes. Garrison Keeler. He's yep. soothing. Mm-hmm. He'd make a good community manager, I bet. See that segue? Did you catch it? Okay. Brilliant. They are apparently made um, from whole wheat raised by Norwegian bachelor farmers. <laughs> so you know that they're not only good for you, they're pure, mostly. <laughs> I like that our biscuits have a legal... Okay. Okay. So legal we, disclaimer. Yes, yes, yes. So we're excited to have both George and Robert on. Um, we're going to talk a bunch about sort of community management. But maybe, George, tell us, what does a community manager at Canonical do? How do you define the role? What's, what's the core responsibility and then maybe even when you get in, I always like to ask people this, and they go, oh, yeah, I'm actually a vice president of uh, this kind of engine. <laughs> I go, okay, that's great. When you get to work, what do you do? So sort of what's the role, and then what does it actually mean day to day? Sure. So there's actually a community team at Canonical, and we are paid to, the mission is kind of make Ubuntu a wonderful pace to participate and contribute to. So there's six of us now. So Jono Bacon, my boss, he's like the community manager, and he manages our team. And I'm responsible for growing the server community. We have a guy, Nick, who's responsible for growing the QA community. A guy named Michael Hall and Daniel Holbach do the development community. And then a guy named David Planella started off doing translations, growing that community. And now he's kind of transitioned over to application development. So there's five or six of us who can kind of uh, hit different areas of community growth in Ubuntu itself. And then based on needs, we can transition a guy or Jono can, can dip in where, where he's needed. So originally what uh, attracted me to this role was that at Canonical and Ubuntu, community management and growth is part of the engineering team. I know in the past when I was looking, or I've met people who want to get in community or want to talk about it, they start off with, oh, community management, you must blog for a living. And I immediately rolled my eyes. It's like, well, that's not really what I do. I mean, you know, there's certainly that element involved, but Specifically at Canonical and Ubuntu, the community team is, is tasked with growing things that help engineers do their job and help improve Ubuntu. So a lot of those things are actually measurable, just like typical engineering tests are. So I wake up in the morning. Do you eat breakfast? What, you, what, what, breakfast what are you wearing? Take, take us there. Take us yes. There. So normally, normally I'm, I'm kind of not really safe for work. I'm wearing pants, but... No, we don't. Never mind. We don't know. I did put pants and like in a nice Ubuntu branded shirt on today. And then I realized that we're not doing video. <sighs> so, but no, most of us work core hours. Most of the companies distributed. We have about 600 employees. Most of them are distributed. Wow. So we get most of our work done on IRC. My team specifically uses a bunch of Trello and Yay. Google Hangouts to kind of coordinate our, our work. So that might involve offsetting time with a guy or whatever. So usually I just wake up in the morning, I've got my little Trello board with my work items. And every three months we have a virtual event that's called virtual UDS. These used to be physical events. I think Robert's been to one or two. I have. And that's where we kind of have like a live planning session where anyone can come join our video planning sessions. And then for that three months, we all get assigned our little work items and then we prioritize and triage those. And then we work on those for three months. And then we repeat, and then every six months, we release a version of Ubuntu based on all of that work. So I hope that kind of answers your question. So I'm still not totally sure what you as a community 
manager oh, member of sure. the community team do, which isn't yeah. terribly surprising because I'm not entirely sure what our community managers do. Yeah. Stephen <laughs> asks this question almost every day, and it sounds a yeah. little meaner each I, time. I still kind yeah. of imagine them. Like, I imagine them like talking to crying users and, and encouraging them to come back to the site. One yeah. one thing I think you know. George mentioned it being part of the engineering team, which actually makes a ton of sense. Over, over here, we report up into the janitorial staff, and it it, it isn't working for us. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, a lot of people think that uh, yeah. community management is, oh, you're the guy that responds to people in forums when the software doesn't work. Right. So what we actually do, we unblock stupid things that enable contributors to work on open source software. So that could be anything from, hi, I found a broken piece of software in Ubuntu, and I want to fix it. So... That person needs to know how to branch the code, how to submit it, how to ping to the right team, how to get a review, how to get the test checked out. You know, and that's just one step. That's just you know fixing fixing a little bug. It can be any. So one thing I've been getting involved with is getting people who write open source software and scripts to get those available to Ubuntu users. So let's say you're a guy who writes a Node.js application for work, and you figured out how to make deployments really nice and simple with your database all automated, right? Um, it's my job to make sure that your whatever awesome stuff you're finding, why not ship that as part of the operating system? So I, I work usually with a lot of DevOps people because I'm the server side guy that says, you know, we should do that. So an example of that is last week, the Netflix guys announced that they're moving to Ubuntu as a platform. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty great. I'm really excited about it. And Adrian Cockroft at Glucon, he did like this five-hour block presentation of their entire infrastructure on AWS. Like everything from how they monitor stuff to how they set up, you know, like paging and like how they auto-scale. It was just like... You'd think something as big as Netflix would just use their own distro or be a little bit more customized than just, say, using a... What? What is kind of optimized as a desktop operating system. Well, not really. No? People think people Uh-oh. think that we're I just actually got hit by a bolt of lightning here. I don't even. Yeah, know why. no, no, no. It's, no I, I'm glad you brought that up because we do get a lot of tension for the client and now the phone and all that stuff. But actually, our our cloud platform stuff is really awesome. You can kind okay. of envision us as two startups. There's like a mobile desktop one, and then there's the the cloud one. In traditional old school Unix servers, we uh-huh. kind of don't really compete in that. But we definitely go after anybody in the cloud, anyone who's running on okay. Amazon, or anybody who's interested in OpenStack. Cool. Is, is our main focus. So yeah, I'm glad you asked that. People think we're we're all about desktops. I but, missed that whole yeah. thing. Does our audience know sort of how canonical functions, how they make money? Like sort of in... They sell Ubuntu, right? Well, no, <laughs> right? Not... <laughs> they had golden yeah. mines. Diamond it's mines. Like, it's like the they, free version of Ubuntu, and then sell... to get, but to get like to unlock more than like two users, <laughs> no. you have to pay for it, right? No, they, they sell... <laughs> were you not listening? They sell DVDs for Netflix, David. He just oh, explained that, it no, to that us. that makes sense. What do people think about the new Arrested Development, by the way? No, no. I did not get a chance to see it. I'm too busy catching up on Game of Thrones. This is awesome. Now, we're going to have the next yeah. 16 executive meetings we're going to have where we ask about monetization strategy. Joel's going to say nothing, but there's always money in the, in the frozen banana stand, and we'll get nowhere. It's over. You can't handle the bluth. <laughs> yeah, to finish my point about Netflix, Go on, I think George. If, if you would have sat in that meeting, you would have learned a ton about running infrastructure at scale. So... What we're focused right now on the server side is how do we get the goodness of very large companies like your Netflixes, your Amazons, your Facebooks, and and codify that into something and improve that in the operating system so that when your little startup wants to get ready and start, you know how to scale horizontally out of the box. You know, you're not stuck dealing with infrastructure issues and things like that. So those are things we're actively trying to solve. As far as how we make money, we sell support called Ubuntu Advantage. We don't artificially limit the software. It's part of the Ubuntu promise that everything a paying customer gets, a free person does as well, which makes getting started and making money really kind of difficult. So it behooves us to have really world-class support and things of that nature. So that's kind of the, how it works. But that's not your side, right? All the community stuff you're doing is what well, you're really working with the community of developers and people working on, on Ubuntu, or, or you're also just trying to both mostly Mostly getting people contributing to Ubuntu to get whatever they want, whatever they're interested, fixed or improved or implemented. So So I think one thing that's interesting here that we've kind of run into is, and I'm sure you have as well, is is this kind of the mindset of the community manager shifting from, well, doing a bit of both, but shifting from just kind of one-on-one, let me help this person to thinking at a higher level, how do I help all the other people with this same problem, kind of building systems to help them versus just solving the one immediate problem. 
Robert, do you want to take a minute and just give your view, sort of, how would you, how would you characterize what the core role of a community manager is here? You know, it, a lot of it is community education because our sites are different than typically what you find on the internet. So we can't just run a form and everybody's sort of used to, you know, how, how everything else works on the internet. So a lot of what we do is guiding the communities to use the software properly, also vetting uh, an analog to what George was talking about is crowdsourcing the people who use our communities for future directions and, you know, vetting feature requests and the philosophy of, you know, how this stuff works and what will work and what won't work. So I would say most of our day is spent just in community education and talking with the core community about where we can bring this. I think one thing that's it's sort of interesting about both of our companies' community management as opposed to other places, you know, if you look at a lot of products that have forums and community management, et cetera, the, the community is rallied because they're enthusiastic about something, right? So that, you know, Spacely Sprockets may have a bunch of places where people talk about them and how they use them and how much they love them. But the community manager is managing these enthusiasts about Sprockets. Well, for, I think it's sprockets? both Sprockets. sprockets. Not, no, that's not the dancing kind. Well, well here, the communities, of, in kind of both cases, the communities are integral to sort of the product, right? So here, our product literally is communities. And I think Ubuntu, the community builds the product, right, on some level, which is just, it's a different, it's not as much of an abstraction, the notion of the community and how that community is managed from the core offering at either Ubuntu or Stack Exchange. And so we we find ourselves, I think, to Robert's point, is we're taking some of this community input, we're quickly often translating it into what we think the product ought to be, and then we're hopefully not running over and and throwing kind of harebrained, half-cocked ideas at David and co., but it's they're almost them. all harebrained. Yeah, but they're, but they're fully cocked harebrained ideas, wouldn't you say? Peer-reviewed harebrained ideas. There you go. But I think it's and one of the things we find often when we're looking, for example, right now, we're hiring community managers, <laughs> is that it just means different things, different places, where in a lot of places, it's a little bit of, I think, sort of really escalated moderation, mm-hmm. which we have some of two, and sort of high-end or broader than kind of one-on-one customer support almost. While I think at places like ours, there's certainly some of that kind of need to respond to people, et cetera. But I think the lion's share of our time is often spent trying to take this input from the community and figure out sort of how to synthesize what experienced users yeah. are telling us, match it with what new users aren't quite telling us, and figure out what it probably means the broader community might need to keep growing, which I just think it's a little different than other places. So George, you had a recent interesting experiment with uh, some crowdsourcing, yeah. which we're always excited it's, it's about. It's actually a long experiment that we finally terminated and put out of its misery. But at the time, it sounded like a good idea. At least I think it did. So This is the, this is, what's it called? The brainstorm? Brain, brainstorm? Yeah. So I, I did some research on this. We actually did this around 2008. Dell came out with this website called the Dell Idea Storm. And the idea was people could submit ideas on how Dells could be better. That. And then Dell would implement like whatever the ideas yeah. are. And the, the top one was like, hey, you guys should sell Linux. And then they're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's how they ended up with an Ubuntu that. laptop Yeah, that very few people bought. The second one is selling well, though. The <laughs> new one's selling well. We could talk about that later, though. People would post ideas like, you know, they'd post a picture of, like, a Mac with, like, no wires, and then they post a picture of a Dell, and it'd, be, it'd look like a rat's nest, and they're like, you know, this is why people don't buy your computers and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> Less wires. <laughs> Feature request, no wires. Make also, a wireless I want them to bring, bring back the pothead that used to advertise the... Uh, Computers on TV. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I remember that Dude, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time, a guy in the community was like, hey, man, that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> you, should, you should implement something Dude. like that because it's really hard for you know, users to get involved in development, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so just to stay on that point. So as far as I understood it, the kind of concept there was you've got developers who actually contribute to it, right. and they use Ubuntu, presumably, but there are also people who just use Ubuntu and aren't developers. And you want to make right. you know make it right. work for them, right? That part seemed interesting to me because it's kind of you know when developers are driving the product, they right. make a product for developers um, and not for the the general person. So that that part kind of made sense to me. Okay, we need a way to get the right. voice of the average person, right? And usually, what happens with a site like this is you get more of the enthusiast, right? Maybe the guy who sets up Ubuntu for you know for somebody else because they don't know or care about their operating system, things like that. Mm-hmm. So we got a volunteer who was really excited, and he actually wrote the software. Like he grabbed some Drupal and like he made it. He added the little voting buttons, and he like wrote it. And he's like, "Hey, we should do this." And we said, "Okay, we should do that." And then we got the Ubuntu technical board, which kind of has oversight over the technical teams in Ubuntu, to kind of respond to the top ten ideas of every cycle on, 
you know, yeah, we're working on this. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but it's actually, you know, 10 years worth of work or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this is this sort of reminds me of the White House petition website. Yeah. <laughs> Like, put Jerry Garcia on a stamp. No, that's how we're going to, or, or build, a, yeah. build a Death Star. That, that Death Star yeah. proposal was like the, the Death Star Actually, one. I'm glad you brought response. up the Death Star thing, because sometimes... <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that before in the history of Death Stars. Yeah. No one's like, ever glad it came um, up. I think people sort of tend to forget that. Like, when I saw that the white, some dude at the White House had to respond to this, I was like, your tax dollars at work. I think people also forget that <laughs> right. know, responding to some of these harebrained ideas is also an engineering cost, right? Who, who wants to pay for that? Right. Nobody. For, yeah, first we had to figure out <laughs> blueprints for the Death Star to figure out exactly how much it would cost. There's something about user suggestions right. where they never go quite far enough. Like, just randomly this morning, I, I have a silly domain name, You Can't Handle the Knuth. And so I tweeted, <laughs> what should mm -hmm. I do with youcanthandlethecanuth.com? Oh, or does anybody have a legit use for it? And what I really want is somebody to say, hey, I've got this Donald Knuth memorial website. That would be a good domain name to point to it and i would just donate the domain name but what i got is a whole bunch of development projects of things that they want me <laughs> yeah. to build and put at that website you want great ideas like, yeah. that won't that take any my time work. right exactly i want i or, want in some way or for someone else to volunteer to do the work yeah i want somebody to step up and say this is amazing right. you should I, just and there's a disconnect too so the developers would come back and be like look dude i'm working for 40 hours a week or whatever in my yeah. stupid bug tracker to fix bugs and then you want me to go implement this guy's crazy ideas this guy's got Death Star idea. We should call those Death Star ideas. Yeah. I don't know if there's really a name for them yet. And then on the other hand, you have users, like I used to explain to people, they'd be like, I don't understand. I'm submitting all these great ideas and no one's responding to them. And I'm like, dude, you're a smart guy. In about 35 seconds, you can generate enough ideas for a thousand developers for the next 25 years. Right. That's the real problem. See, David, how hard <laughs> would it be for you to respond to all my ideas with beginning with, you're a smart guy? See how much nicer it <laughs> sounds when that, George I'm said I'm going to use that Death Star thing on Jay all the time. <laughs> We're going to call now. them Death Star ideas. I was involved in the Excel Wish email alias at Microsoft. You could email to XLWish at Microsoft.com uh -huh. oh, with your wish <sighs> for something that Excel I, should be I already able to know do. how to be. I want more wishes. <laughs> I want more wishes. Your first wishes, you want more the wishes. first email I'm sending is more wishes. Second wish, Death Star. There's really no limit <laughs> yeah. to how much garbage you can send text. I wish it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was open for a week or a year or a month or whatever, but, the, but we got thousands and thousands and thousands of things. And yeah. I kept trying to ask the marketing people to like read those emails and summarize, you know, the most useful ones. They were like, this is all stuff we know. You know, we, we wish for this as well. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah. not like, it's not like we don't also wish that Excel yeah. did all these magical things. But I wish Linux supported Broadcom Wireless yeah. better. I was like, yeah, dude, I, I don't need 50 people to tell me that. Right. I need that, 50 people to help me to fix it. To write a driver, yeah. <laughs> that, that response, by the way, is one so, of the things they train you in talking to toddlers, where if you can't solve their problem, what you should yeah. say is, I wish that would happen too. That's like the, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the in that book. we're on the same side <laughs> of this, but it's only a dream. Right. Yeah. I'm going to use that. See, I'm learning a lot from you guys. That's what I'm going to say to Jay from now on. Yeah. I wish that were, I wish that were. There. I wish I had a, a network-wide database Star. as well. Um, <laughs> if you haven't heard that before, everyone should go read How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. It will also help you speak to your significant other more effectively. I, I learned something every day that makes my wife hate me a tiny bit less. I think yeah. we just invented a new status tag. Status, I wish so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, or just Death Star. Death Star. Yeah. Status test. So, all right, finish the story. So, so <laughs> what happened with Brainstorm? So, la last month, the tech board pinged me and they're like, we're responding to all this stuff, but you know, this isn't really working. And what's even worse now is people think that if you come up with a crazy idea that Ubuntu should be made out of, you know, unicorns and stuff and you get enough votes, it's got a hundred votes. Of course, yeah, they're going to do it now. Right. Exactly. It's number one in the list. And with that, with, with, I think the developer summit becoming virtual, that now anyone, like, if you're really passionate about something, you can just literally join the Hangout. Before, you had to kind of physically show up somewhere, and I can understand that being hard for people. But literally, you know, every day, the barrier to contributing something gets lower and lower. So it's like, well, you could do a brainstorm, or you could just show up to the meeting with the developers and, you know, get something started. There's also that disconnect. I think people have this, like, romantic idea that there's, you know, millions of open source developers out there in the cloud doing, doing people's bidding and stuff. And really, it's, you know... And they all have beards and stuff, of course. Of course. <laughs> but, you know, what it, what it really is, is that... Do developers have beards? Yeah. And sandals. The good ones. Yeah. It's all about the doers, right? It's like the person who's going to actually go and do the work and rally people to code stuff and or, you know, I've traded favors with developers to get them to do something for me. 
Like, you know, at some I point, like, I don't like, think yeah, we need to know uh, more uh, about you, that. The way you pause before favors <laughs> makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> I'll tell you the trick. The trick to software contributor currency is always beer. It's uh, always. I thought it was going to be something with beards, but beer makes more sense. Words that start with beer. We could call it beer for beards. <laughs> yes, exactly. So for Death Stars, we have a developer here who can yeah. be bought off with liquor. Yeah, and you know it it can work up up until he like figures it out or gets really drunk. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's when there's, they there's a period when it gets when you get what you want, and then you start getting slang a really horrible version of what you want. Oh, it's <laughs> to be thrown away in the morning. None of this brilliant code works at all. Speaking what? of doing the work, I mean, so this is a hard problem, right? You ended up shutting the site down because it just wasn't working, right? That's, that's we're, we're in the process. In the process of yeah. gradually, these things are never, they're always messy. It's almost an impossible problem to solve because you don't want to just close all the communication channels. I mean, it sounds like you've got, right. you've got some open, and I think maybe that's what you want is sort of higher friction communication channels where they have to, they have to really want it to. Right. This is what I remember about like YouTube. You know how YouTube has crappy comments? And for years, they just didn't really care about the comments. The whole point of the comments was that after you watch a video, there's a text box you can type in. And who cares where it goes? It just gives you an opportunity <laughs> to shout at your television set, <laughs> which is like a new thing, right? Like when you watch the video on YouTube, you then got an opportunity well, that's what to Twitter's shout for at your television now. set. Oh, and then people have to follow you. It's even worse. No, there, there was something about put the, like, hashtag the very the show fact on that and... you're giving people an opportunity to provide some feedback even if nobody ever reads it or cares. Yeah, the hard part is the, is the entitlement problem, right? As soon as people yeah. people feel like they've done, you know, they've really contributed something and I've got this brilliant idea and why isn't anybody working on it? And right. yeah. a lot of things, I mean, one, they've never put as much work into it as they think, right? The developer always looks that. at it and says, there's like 800 things we still need to figure out to even figure out whether we yeah, can do we this. Should, Abby, we should link in the show notes to that Windows 7 ad that I meant to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah, little, the, the little there's, not safe for work. There's but, also a fan, yeah. there's a fantastic video that is just like people reading aloud and a dramatic interpretation of YouTube comments, and it's all actual <laughs> YouTube comments, <laughs> and they're fantastic. Like it yeah. includes like the misspellings and it reads them misspelled. It's it's just awesome, awesome. But David, so that, but would you like what, in our world, right? Which what we're talking about a little bit, our version of this, which I think we get a lot out of, but there is always a little bit is meta, right? Is 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 meta is a place where we get and we often get some very well thought out suggestions yeah so there's an interesting thing because there we've gotten the community to vet the ideas a bit for us which i think really helps like there's a lot of dumb ideas posted and the community is actually the first we loved yours you know your your idea was great but the community is pretty good at pointing out why this isn't going to work now that causes problems too where they can tend to you know somebody comes in and it's an idea that sounds good on the surface and they post it and then everyone's like no you're dumb we've talked about this before and decided it was yeah. a bad idea meta though touches on something though that i think that lines up with what george is getting at which is there's a level and to joel's point just lowering the bar of participation and so votes often help tell us what somebody cares about and in our community our, our community's very thoughtful and so a lot of votes is usually a good sign but votes are cheap right and no so you can't make vote votes are really yeah. hard because you get the this sounds like a thing people would use yeah. right? versus yes. I would actually use no, and that, this. That's what I'm getting at is that votes are so easy to give mm-hmm. and so so theoretically sort of valueless. I think a lot of votes tells us we should look at something, but it reminds me a little bit of how when people got, in the old days, right, if a politician got a letter, they assumed that there were a thousand people who cared about that thing, right, in their right. constituency. They just multiplied. Right. And so what they do is they, if they got enough letters... They'd be adding up and they go, God, there's a lot of people who actually care about this. And I think what's important is, so now when they get an email, they assume nothing. They but all care. the politician had to do is decide how to vote on some up-down issue, right? Yeah. They didn't actually have to invent oh, a right. Death Star. That's true. They didn't, but I think but what's, it, what's... But it meant, so the point was, writing a letter was annoying, right? You had to actually care enough to sit down, write the letter, you know, go find a stamp, mm-hmm. figure out their address, send it. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, you go online and you sign a petition by clicking a button and it mails a letter automatically. Or you can just upvote the petition on, on Reddit. Right. But it, and importantly, writing a letter is almost as hard as voting. And so, like, it was rational to think that letters had some association with other people who vote for you. Well, the number of people who will press a button saying, oh. I believe in X, has right. no correlation with the number of those people who might actually, actually go to the polls. Right. buy it. Even yeah. if it's popular, it doesn't mean it's a good idea. Have you guys seen that Simpsons episode with, Ho- with Homer's car where... <laughs> Homer's uncle he works a car for, in every episode. <laughs> well, no. Uh, so Homer's uncle works like at a car company, and they're kind of failing. And yep. then he meets Homer, and he's like, "This is why we're not selling cars. We need to listen to this man." And they come up with the worst car possible. It has like sixty-five 
you know, cup holders and like five horns. PT and like the company goes bankrupt, right? And and you see the same thing kind of happening like on Kickstarters where someone's like, all I need is, you know, $200,000 and I'm going to design an LED light bulb that will only cost a dollar, you know? And like, there's no, <laughs> there's no like, um, you know, there's no safety valve as far as expectations that people are, well, I are think, yeah, that's, that's true. signing up for. Kickstarter yeah. is an interesting example of making voting costly, basically, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. literally vote with your dollars for the ideas that you like. And, you know, at least then you know that th- this many people care this much. Right. And it's not a perfect metric, but it's certainly, I mean, imagine Kickstarter where you just went and upvoted the ideas you liked. And bought, then and then they asked you for money when they finished. I think I bought a mo- I bought a month worth of a product called Soylent last week before my before, in the middle of the night while I was feeding the baby, uh, j- just about a day before my wife. Are you going to feed Soylent to the baby? Because no. I don't think that's recommended. My wife sent me an article from the I think NIH that said this person does not appear to have any idea what they're doing. It's all very <laughs> tragic. Wait, somebody sells something called Soylent? You got to look this oh. up. It's a, they, you don't spend enough time yeah. on Hacker News. Uh, they claim to have basically found a generic food you could eat all the time and be relatively healthy. Oh, Kibble. It's like dog kibble. It's, yeah. it's kibble for humans. Yeah. It's made of people. Be careful. Why? So far, my husky is not <laughs> That was only Soylent Green. The other Soylents were not made of people. Yeah, they didn't have to be made out of people. But I, I do think there, there's... This one might be made out of people. It's unclear. Yeah. It's interesting trying to figure out where you can get, like, how do you take a community that has good input and try to capture some of it in a way that is going to be useful and somewhat filtered, but without also making them feel like all of a sudden there, what you don't want to do is create a forum where people can see what they want. And almost all of them walk away saying, well, you, you bastards didn't do it. It was the most popular idea. And everyone's just angrier because you're not equipped to help them understand why it couldn't be implemented or why it didn't make sense to do it in that order. Yeah. So what we do, we, we think that by making the planning process as far as making Ubuntu more transparent, make it easier for people to participate is, is a good venue for that. So people can show up, you know, at the hangout, like you literally just click in and get involved or Jono runs Q and A's every week, every cycle, Mark Shuttleworth runs his own Q and A where you can ask him any questions. And like our developers are available, you know, all the mailing lists are public, all the IRC chat channels are public. So we're thinking, you know, just get really, really involved as opposed to a kind of sort of, halfway house that makes you think you're involved but not really is probably the better way to go and just work on yeah it really turns out you don't usually need ideas I mean, it's kind of what it boils down yeah. to you put these yeah. things together and they're supposed to generate ideas and they, they boy they sure do um but yeah. usually that's just not the problem you need to solve you need what? more people working on the ideas you already have sometimes you want to put a few ideas out there and say which of these do you care more about but even right. that usually you know the answer my, yeah. my super naive story about when I started here is I had this vision when I was starting. I was like, I have all these great ideas from the site that just haven't happened yet. And I was like, as soon as I get there and I can share these ideas, like they're the we're just going to be awesome. We're going to do all these awesome things yeah. and they're going to make yeah. all these improvements. And it wasn't that I could think of these ideas that other people couldn't. I just felt like I'd identified ones that no one else was paying attention to. Or, and it's, it's this moment of like, oh my God, you're an idiot. When you start to process like, there is a list of ideas, at least that good, that is never going to get done already sitting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that it's... I try, we try not to work on those lists because they just make you depressed. And a you thousand spend a lot of good time. ideas yeah. ahead of your right, good yeah. idea. Prior, prioritization is a hundred times harder than idea generation. Yeah. And, and a lot of the ideas did get implemented because when you think about it, a lot of ideas are really advanced common sense when it comes to software, right? Sure. I wish this was faster and more secure. You could patent that right now. <laughs> You know, I mean, there were a lot of ideas being implemented, but it wasn't because they were on Brainstorm. It's just, you know, software improves over time. And if someone has a great idea, they can file the bug report and implement it. And, you know. So let's, um, let's shift for a sec. Let's talk about Ask Ubuntu because uh, we're, yeah, we're sure. selfish and that's, that, that's one of our websites. But Ask Ubuntu, I think, is worth mentioning is probably a much, much bigger site than a lot of people, even who are plugged into our network, realize. Mm-hmm. How big is it, Jay? So I'm glad you asked, y'all. If you look at the number of questions it's the fourth biggest it has 140,000 questions on it wow so that's bigger than every site except for stack overflow it is server fault super it's, user. it's damn close to server fault so it's it's fourth behind server fault is third i believe yeah. and it's they're very close they get 229,000 visits a day so they're third for traffic woohoo bigger than server fault and they're also third so one of the problems with questions is questions often is influenced by age of site so some sites have lots of questions because they've been around longer but even if questions for day they come in third they're getting close to 200 questions a day which is a really really big number there's only i think five or mm-hmm. six sites over 100 
Pop quiz, what's number two if Askabuntu is third? Super user. Yeah. yeah. Math. I was going to thought math was fourth. Math was math fourth. Math. A number of questions math per day. Wow. Stack Overflow gets six, almost 7,000. Then you have math. There are like an infinite number of math problems. Math at like 357 questions each day. And then Askabuntu at 193. And it, it drops off sharply. Keep going down. So anyway, Ask Ubuntu is one of those sites I think that is probably not as commonly part of our day-to-day dialogue because it is—it's a specific topic, right? It's kind of, eh. but is really, really big. So I think about it almost on a daily basis. I, <laughs> that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> For the last week, Joel's been saying Ubuntu. It's not—it's not English phonology. He's trying phonology? to re- retrain his brain on how to pronounce it. Uh, I think it's phonologically impossible in an English word. It's not an English word. Rules. Phrenology? Where does it come from? Why are we? we it's it's Africans. Africans. Yeah. 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 But why do you want it to be English? Well, that's just why I have so much trouble pronouncing it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So, um, so ask Ubuntu. <laughs> so, so what was your experience? So, you, you, did you were you on the site all, from the beginning? I was on the site from the beginning. I had a coworker who was like, "Hey, man, you've heard of Stack Overflow?" I was like, "Yes." He's like, <laughs> "We want to do an Area 51. Tell everybody." And I don't have time to do it. And you're the community guy. Isn't this your job? And I was like, okay, I guess I'll check it out. And I actually spent a lot of time before the beta researching and listening to the old podcast because I didn't really get it. I was like, we have a forum. We have mailing lists. I don't really get it. So I spent really a lot of time trying to figure out what the site was. And then at some point it clicked. We went beta. And I met Robert at a UDS, I think a month after we had launched. Because at the time, Ubuntu was going through a lot of changes with the new interface. So the site kind of launched at the perfect time where all the fresh content for all the new interface stuff, we didn't have to kind of compete with older blogs and stuff on Google because it was all brand new stuff that we got to document on the site. So we did that. But yeah. I'm not a moderator. I know uh, Joel announced me as one, what? but I'm, I'm not No, one. I, think, I think I said that wrong. Yeah, I'm a 20K user. Yeah, I think. Ubuntu more than almost any. We have other sites that are kind of specific to... Uh, an operating system or a product, but I think Ubuntu is probably, it's almost more of an official destination in a way that we don't, we don't have a lot else. Yeah. That's a big reason why it's grown so much is because Canonical has, you know, kind of promoted it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's in the installer for Ubuntu. So that's something we definitely notice is whenever Ubuntu comes out with a new version, we see tons of questions flood onto the site because the installer says, yeah, having problems, <laughs> ask them here. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's interesting because one of the things we're often very cautious, and Robert, you can speak this a little bit, but we, we often almost, when, when some company says, we want to make you the official place, we're always a little bit wary that they're just going to dump their, sort of like all of a sudden we become Facebook's customer support. They're just going right. to dump customer support yeah. queries that they never plan to respond to, and they'd just rather someone else looks like the bad guy. Yeah. And so we tend to say, like, <laughs> don't, don't make us too official, but I, I do think that the, particularly when it's a, an entity that's already kind of fairly beloved, a direct association with a product and more integration with them, a place being the official destination does help in a way get past the, when there's a lot of places out there, the things that are different about us, the, that hurdle of learning is harder. So people come and something weird happens or we're a little rough on them or they haven't read the FAQ. Yeah. It gets trickier and they may look for a more frictionless but less effective place. And I, I feel like that official association was, it just created an interest. It gives you more critical mass faster almost. Yeah get over some of that stuff. Well, also, I mean, Ubuntu comes from this whole culture of open source and user-generated content that makes more sense. Right. It's a very natural fit. That's a good yeah. point. It's Whereas, a very natural yeah. fit. Facebook is just a consumer no, product. No, fa- uh, yeah. Facebook's yeah. an example, but we really don't want any of that stuff here. But yeah. I just it's an interesting... I think you're right. Is the overlap's really high to start with, but I think we definitely get a decent influx of people who feel like it's the place, not one of the places they should try, which I think gives us a little more traction. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so the site launched in, what, 1010? So that was 2010. And then we've been spiking ever since. Oh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was one of the unique challenges we had is we were cyclical. We would, right around April and October every month, the site would just get totally hammered with new users. And the first two cycles, we didn't have enough people with closing and voting privileges to like keep up. So that was kind of a struggle for a while. And our accept rate would plummet literally to the bottom of the entire network. And then we would spend six months catching up and then get hammered again. Because it was just all new users. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even finding the duplicates and things like that, it just became a little difficult. And then one day the review queue landed. And ever since then, we've gotten it up to 74, 75%. 
And it's been holding steady even during the release cycles, which is amazing to me because I remember just being absolutely flooded. I remember like waiting until the UTC time is like, okay, and I'll get my closed votes in two hours. I need to, oh my I need to make sure. Somebody, and then like we had to set up a separate channel on, on the Stack Exchange chat where people in other time zones would leave me a list of closed votes because there was no queue, right? In order to get some to close a question, you had to like find a dude who had enough votes, oh, right? Well, either that or you're flagging it and the moderators would like go crazy. And it was so like the queue makes it really nice because as long as somebody gets something in the queue, I know it'll get reviewed by enough people to matter. So I really, I really like that. Huh. The, the whole work around the review queue, I think, has been amazing. I'm now envisioning the Dell sure. dude being like, hey, man, you got any, you're carrying any closed votes? You're holding closed <laughs> votes, man? Yeah. So for the review stuff, is that just, I mean, is that just kind of handled itself? Or did you guys sort of organize around it to say, hey, let's, let's get more people closing? Or Yeah, so we, we used to, before the review queue, Ollie, one of the moderators, actually set up a site that used the API. And then we would give him random data stack exchange queries that we, we were like, okay, during this three-week period, two months ago, you know, which ones had the word freeze in them? Because those are probably bug reports that we can close, and the person needs to go report that with the actual bug tracking tool, which will attach a stack trace and do all that stuff. So like, we would give that, and then we would run like a cleanup week. And I, I think I organized it with the moderators, where I think we gave them t-shirts or something. And then you know, the top 10 people who could do the most cleanup and, and stuff like that. So we would actually figure out Stack Exchange queries from Data Stack Exchange. And then we would wait you know, for the data dump to get up to date so we could run like queries on it in the background. And when you guys started doing those weekly, I was like, oh, yes, that really helps us out. So, wow. Like, something I'd like to see is since, you know, we're all about brainstorming ideas here. See, see what yeah. I did there? Yeah, more is, ideas. Yeah, yeah. we have That's no ideas. Need, I'm going to put them in the database. When, when the review queue first launched, I remember I figured out all the people who had the ability to close because when it turned it on, it had like 600 some questions in there. I was like, oh my God, we're never going to get through this. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so I like mailed everybody. I was like, hey guys, there's a queue now. You know, it's important we keep content fresh. You know, if you can get started in the queue and literally four weeks later, now the queues are always at zero. It's like now we don't have enough, enough things to work about. So what I was thinking would be a cool idea is give individual communities the ability to kind of plug in custom data.stackexchange queries with like a little explanation, you know. This queue is going to be about cleaning up questions about Broadcom wireless cards or whatever. And then we write uh, them yeah, yeah. and those just get oh, shoved. We, we've thought about that. Yeah. Um, the review system has been really interesting, just kind of a social experiment mm-hmm. because it does work so well, uh, sometimes yeah. too well. Yeah. Like we had... <laughs> Since we introduced the review system, most of the work we've done has been like not quite backpedaling, but like making it harder to do, yeah. adding more audits to make sure people aren't just going through and clicking close, 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 or looks good, looks good, looks good. Cause it's like, yeah, it's sort of too fun to just sit there and click the same thing. Yeah, yeah. it's too fun and you get badges. It's not even clear to me why these people just have too much time. Uh, yeah. Makes me angry David if I talk about we it. We appreciate your efforts in the review queue. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate all the people who are actually reading the posts. I do not appreciate the people who are just going through just and clicking yeah, no, just clicking yeah. to get a badge. And because... it does, but it raises it raises an interesting like: Are they going for the badge, or have they just gotten addicted to seeing a queue empty? I like, don't know. It's a little of both. Anyway, it's been kind of interesting. So, so what, but to David, go back what to your idea, to correct, what did we do to fix that? Well, the the big thing that helped there was was audits. Right. So the audits just detect, you know. Uh, so if we you, throw in things where we know the answer into the queue. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was a bit tricky to figure out. And it's not always perfect, but yeah, I mean, it works pretty well for most of the queues. And so every once in a while, you get one that looks basically indistinguishable from a real one. And if you click the wrong thing, it's like, hey. Stop. We just caught you. And if you do it, if you do it like more than twice in some time period, you get banned for 24 hours. And the- is there? There's a little bit of rate limiting too, isn't there? Yeah, there's a, there was always rate limiting built in where if you did stuff too fast, yeah, like certain actions. We should do be the thing that all those websites do on this on their slideshows when they're having a slideshow of 20 pictures. You have to look at where the next button is subtly moving by about 14 pixels every time. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't just click, 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 click. You have to like click, and you actually have to pay a little bit of attention. And, they, yeah. and then they put an ad there, so if yeah. you click too fast, you click the ad. They do that totally inadvertently, of course. But it was just sliding in from the side. They did. Why would yeah. they do that on purpose? Yeah. And what's also a really useful tool is the self-assessment, because it kind of gives me a oh, view. Yeah. Because I'm reviewing like every day. That's like what I do, and I'm editing constantly. I'm like fixing grammar. That's like, because to me, mm-hmm. if I do that a little bit every day, I like it trains me to learn more about my profession. I love it. It's like, 
It's like a little quiz show every day when I'm fixing someone's stuff. And I always think, you know, okay, this is, you know, the site is excellent. I know because I'm spending five hours a day on it. It's amazing. And then you go through the self-assessment and then you see what users are really voting on that is like kind of not good or needs improvement. So I'm actually using that a lot to feed what I'm reviewing as well. It's like, well, let me go through all the ones that have been marked need, needs improvement um, to make sure those are, you know, in decent shape. So I really like the self-assessment because sometimes we get people, I hate this site. It doesn't work for me. I asked a question, but when you come back with numbers, actually, you know, 74% of our questions get an answer and, you know, overwhelmingly, most of them are voted as high quality. So what's your issue? You know, that's interesting. Yeah. So the self-assessment just for anyone who's not clear, because it is kind of a hidden thing. It, It, what's the cycle we do it on every, every, some number of weeks, it pops up onto a site. I think it's like a quarterly now. Quarterly. It pops up on the site, and we fill it with a bunch of... Robert probably knows more about this than I do. <laughs> Why don't you explain it, Robert? You think. The system picks a selection, I believe, of 10 questions. Jeez, we just changed this over. I hope I'm getting this right. But basically, the idea is the system picks a selection of eligible content, and the community goes and takes a look at this content and, and evaluates if they feel the answers the community provided rate better, worse, or about the same as what is generally available on the internet. And by mm-hmm. doing this in sort of an ongoing basis in a community self-evaluation queue, we can go in periodically and check if the quality of the site is essentially improving or getting worse or you know, pretty much holding their own. It's not necessarily to grade the community, but it raises a, an alarm if something is essentially going wrong that we need to go take a look at. And I think one thing I'd highlight is I, whenever we talk about the self-assessments, I have this knee-jerk, I think, wrong reaction of you're not really, when you look at one site score versus another, which is where my mistake is, you're not really getting whether that site is doing one site's doing better than the other. You're, it's as likely that you're being influenced by this the site's user's propensity to sort of want improvement or feel good about themselves, et cetera. But the, the key, I think, Robert, you hit on, and also in George, what you're describing is what it's good at is tracking how a site is trending internally, right? So do, do yep. our users who we care about, right. who are the experts we need, do they believe this site is a better resource than what's out there, getting better or getting worse? And I think that whether or not I'm right that there's a little bit of a, a different influencer than quality looking site to site, the intra-site trending, I think, is what makes it, I think, really interesting. Well, there's, a, there's an interesting dynamic because we ask communities to evaluate themselves, but right. what they're evaluating is the answers they provided. So you see a lot of personality come out in terms of how much they sort of love their own content you know, and how much they actually participate. So yeah, you can't, you can't compare two separate sites, they're, they're apples and oranges, but you can watch over time is how a community evaluates themselves over time. And it's also interesting to go see, sort of meta to that is if, if a community has a question that's evaluated and they say, gee, there's something wrong with this question, I didn't evaluate it very well, is to go back and look at what they actually did about it. You know, they, yep. If you get a lot of people saying, this question really sucks, it doesn't belong here, and then you go after the fact and say, well, they didn't do anything about it, there might be an educational issue about the community doesn't feel empowered to improve their own content. And I think that whole need sort of comes out of sort of, we talk about how one of the things we pride ourselves on is that you go to the front page of any of our sites, and if you don't understand what the hell they're even asking, we've probably got a good site going, because it means it is designed sort of by experts for experts in something relatively hard to learn. But what that means often is that you, or perhaps none of us here, have a good perspective, right, on what some of these, you know, if we go to our, you know, our, we have a new site on, on Blender, the 3D modeling product, which seems to be doing, per, you know, we're, 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 seeing, we're seeing a lot of activity. It's doing pretty well in private beta. And the truth is there's, there's none of us who can really go look at it and be terribly sure whether these are good Blender questions or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we cater to communities that are expert enough that we may not understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me, it's always, I want like uh Usually when someone's complaining about the quality of the site and stuff, I get immediately defensive, you know? And it's like, oh, well, show me where it's bad so I can go fix it, you know? So I think it's important for us. The great or bad thing about software documentation is even if it was the greatest answer a year ago, this year, I'm willing to bet probably not. So it's always a constant reevaluating and reassessing the quality of a given question or answer and stuff. Because even if, even if it was the greatest answer of all time, you know, in two, three releases, you know, it could be totally the worst, worst idea or, or worst advice, uh, which happens a lot. So I think constantly having that in our face, I, th- I think is really good. Keeps us on our toes, I think. 
So is there any, anything else from an Ask Ubuntu-specific perspective that you feel like would make that your site work better? What, what, what's missing? What, what should we be building? I think so. My By the way, we're going to put it on a list and ignore it, but it's so interesting <laughs> to know. Hey, no, that's why we talked about Brainstorm first. Now I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest problem that we're having right now is because for most people, a Linux is, is still a complicated thing, is we, we do get some user confusion as to what should be like a bug report or a crasher and what's a configuration issue. So the OS has this awesome built-in functionality that when something breaks and goes wrong, it like grabs a stack trace, shoves it in the bug tracker, and then something retraces it. And then, you know, it plus one some errors database in Cassandra somewhere, and then it triages it with something else. Like we like to get bugs going in that direction. But unfortunately, sometimes we get people reporting on the site. And I don't know how to fix this because... On super user and on the Mac site, I don't see a flood of my computer doesn't boot kind of things. Oh, they're there. Yeah, they're there, but I don't know. Like, I don't have science to back this up. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. I should have come prepared. Yeah, I think, I think what happens, other people hide them there. You hide them on this site, and so you're more yeah. exposed. <laughs> yeah, and the challenging thing, I think, of, about Linux in particular is it could be a driver bug, or it could just be an incantation that you type in a terminal that only four other people know in the world how to do. <laughs> Or a configuration file somewhere where you zigged instead of zagged. Just edit the code. Yeah. And you go from perfectly working software to, you know, something totally not working. So I think the biggest challenge for us as a site is how to stay focused on Q&A and not becoming a, like, poor man's bug tracker. Because we were starting to head down that route, and it, it was starting to affect some of the developers. One of the developers like, look, I'm in the bug tracker all day. I kind of want to answer questions about you know, clever ways to set things up and do all that stuff. What I'm getting is bug reports that are half-diagnosed with no data for me to, you know, help. So if we can kind of figure out a way to get those to the bug tracker and keep asking to more about how to use your computer as opposed to how to fix your computer. Joel, is there any software that's dedicated to bug tracking that'd be more appropriate for such a problem? <laughs> that's a great idea. That's like, that's like a business idea that you just had. There really yeah. ought to be some enterprise-level bug tracking yeah. software that focuses on that. Well, I think the, the bigger question here is just kind of, it always comes back to just educating new users. Part of it is like what the user expects, right? Because so many right. open source projects, like their main form of communication with their community is the bug tracker. Right. And it also makes the bug tracker relatively useless half yep. the time because you'll see yeah. somebody write a bug report and then there'll be 800 me too yeah i had this problem yeah. as well which makes it unusable has at, anybody gotten an developers. answer yet yeah, yeah. what and wallpaper it, are you running in that screenshot yeah. it's, it's like, been dude. a year and the company hasn't responded <laughs> yet any update <laughs> yeah. yeah and the real reason that nobody from the company is responding is it's 80 pages to click through yeah you know of me too's and so, so I, I think that's the biggest challenge for us as a community right now. And I think the review queue has really come a long way. Like it used to be, I would, I would dedicate entire UTC days to searching, okay, today's 35 votes, closed votes that I have are going to be about this, finding this exact problem and closing those as bug reports. Now, all I have to do is get them in the queue and that's really helping us. But I think as a community for Ask Ubuntu, I think that continues to be our biggest challenge is to where the bug tracker stops and starts and where Ask Ubuntu stops and starts. Because we have forums and mailing lists too, and sometimes people just want to vent or they want to do the water cooler thing, and they think Ask Ubuntu is the place to do that. But mm -hmm. I don't know. It seems to be working fine. I mean, according to the stats, it seems like we're doing pretty decent. So, I mean, I, I don't really have any concerns. Are you guys happy? No, we're ecstatic about Ask Ubuntu. I'm a little sad today because it's rainy. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for asking. You though. have been listening to the podcast. <laughs> we're, we're getting towards the end of our podcast. We so are. I will encourage us. Do we have any Oh, we other, had a couple. Uh, yeah, just a couple quick things. Site launches, Jay. Site launches. Uh, yeah. As you're listening to this, I think both open data and network engineering are in public beta. What is open data? So open data is a site I'm going to get. Robert, you want to talk about open data? Yeah, open data is, well... By definition, it's a movement of people who believe that data should be freely available and accessible. So it's about databases, which are both free and, uh, geez, I wish I had that in front of me. I could give them the little speech. But yeah, it's basically about people who are trying to figure out what to do with all the publicly available information right, and cool. where they can find it. Got it. And network engineering. Boy, that's a tougher one. Network engineering <laughs> is just network engineering. People building yeah, large the networks. The subset of 
of server of system fault. administration. System administration. I think we talked about that on the podcast a tiny bit, didn't we? Is that, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think we covered a little bit of why that community at least thought it would function better as a spinoff. We won't rehash that, but they do seem to be doing pretty decently so far. Good number of questions, a lot of engagement, and I think there's a good sense so far of kind of pride and ownership from those guys in creating their own thing. So we feel good about it. And gals. Awesome. So check out those sites. Opendata.stackexchange.com. Yep. Networkengineering.stackexchange.com. It's Seriously, kind of, network it's a pretty long one. Could, we couldn't make it NetAng or something? or There might be some shorter Net-ang. versions. Suggested on their meta. Participate on the site. Suggest Switches. on Switches.se. <sighs> there you go. Switches and cables. <laughs> And then we got a couple of others that I won't talk about because they're still in private beta. So we'll talk about them when they go into public beta to try and get you to go participate then. Oh, it's like a cliffhanger. Stay tuned. That's exciting. There's a lot of traffic on network engineering. What is going on? Why is this site so so active? This network thing might really take this off. Network engineering yeah. might really be a thing. Might be a big deal. All right. Cool. We're going to have to wrap it up because we've been going for a while. Thank you very much, George, for hanging with us, telling us about Ask Ubuntu. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks also to Robert. Oh, actually, George, give me a place where they can find you, a blog, Twitter handle. Sure. GeorgeCastro.org. That's with a J. J-O-R-G-E. Castro.org. Yep. That's my blog. We'll link it in the show notes. Awesome. There'll be a link in the show notes. Robert Cartano, our Director of Community Development. Also, the usual... Uh, um, suspects. Suspect, David Fullerton. Jay Hanlon, producer Alex, is not here. He does not get credit. Remove He's fired. the credit for this show. Although he did actually produce... Abby has been fake producer Alex and also we'll prepare the show notes for you where we've got lots of funny videos. Once again, today's podcast was brought to you by Powder Milk Biscuits. Powder Milk Biscuits give shy persons the strength they need to get up and do what needs to be done. We'll see you in two weeks. See ya. Bye. 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 Somebody want to sing the Powder Milk Biscuits song? Has your family tried them Powder Milk? Has your family tried them Powder Milk? Well, if your family's tried them all, you know you're satisfied them. They're the real hot item about him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about the Death Star. Let's sing a Death Star song. I don't think that's a good idea. It has to be a harmony little... I'm afraid they'll find our powder milk biscuits fully operational.